Hello and welcome to another installment of Soccer Pints, your one-stop shop for all things American soccer. I'm your host, Will Clark. If you aren't familiar, Soccer Pints is an American soccer podcast where we have pointed discussions about U.S. soccer, Americans abroad, Major League Soccer, and many other exciting topics. After our four-part series that was released two weeks ago, where we revealed our final World Cup roster prediction, we have received a lot of great feedback, with some in agreement and, of course, those in disagreement as well. It's made for a lot of good content with the questions that have come in. I mentioned on social media last week that this week we would release two episodes, and today I want to give a few updates on our American Abroad players overseas with their recent performances, and I want to highlight the MLS playoffs and our national team players who have competed there. In addition, with the questions that have come in about the World Cup roster prediction, I want to answer those and share some perspectives there, as well as give a few final thoughts of the week. As it is only Tuesday morning and I like to highlight one brewery each week, I won't be discussing soccer over a pint today. Instead, I'll save that for later in the week when it will be much more needed. So bear with me as we go through today's show and maybe grab a pint of your favorite beer as you listen on if you'd like. Since we are less than a month away, I wanted to start off today's episode with an update into recent performances of players, injury updates, and anything worth mentioning about our U.S. Men's National Team squad. I will start off with this. Greg Burhalter, as all national team managers had to do this weekend, submitted a final provisional roster list to FIFA that can consist of up to 55 players that he can choose from for our final 26-man World Cup roster. What is interesting about this provisional list is that it does not have to be made public. I am sure there are multiple reasons why a manager would decide to keep the list private, and yes, Greg decided to keep his private. I can't be upset about that as Greg isn't the only one who decided to do it. In fact, the majority of countries kept it private. I think a top reason is the fact that you can add any name to your list, regardless of whether or not that person has decided to play for your country if they are still eligible to. With several dual nationals still undecided on whether they will want to represent the U.S. over another nation, adding them to the list but keeping it private allows us to play our cards closer to our chest so that other nations aren't aware of what selections could be made. So, while we don't know every single name on the list, I think it's safe to assume players like Fullerin, Belungan, Alejandro Zendejas, and others are on the list just in case Greg gets their commitments in time for the final roster selection on November 9th. As for performances on the pitch over the past week, we have seen a lot of action and quite a bit of success from some folks. Gio Reyna scored his first goal for Dortmund in over a year after his injuries, and he was also back in the starting lineup for them as well. So while I know a lot of U.S. fans collectively held their breaths seeing him on the pitch, he made it out unscathed and will also start to bring some confidence moving forward with. Weston McKinney hasn't been in the best form in recent months, but he also netted his first Serie A goal in Italy for Juventus, which is great to see. The man I just mentioned, Fullerin Belungan, also netted his seventh League One goal in France. If Greg can somehow get him to commit to the U.S. for the World Cup, regardless of if he has ever played for our senior team before, it would be a huge win for us and would add a dynamic player to this squad. Another man who can't stop scoring, Ricardo Pepe, got another goal in Netherlands on the weekend, bringing his tally up to six this season. Pepe has really excelled since his move away from the Bundesliga and looks like a renewed player that is ready to make an impact in November. But it wasn't just goals for Americans abroad over the past week. We also saw our goalkeepers performing on the weekend. 
Zach Steffen has continued his fine form with a four-save shutout in Middleborough draw with Huddersfield. Josh Cohen earned another win in net in the Israeli league despite giving up two goals. Matt Turner also got the start for Arsenal in the midweek Europa League match and made one save in their 1-0 shutout win over PSV Eindhoven. And while Ethan Horvath was in net for, for a losing effort for Luttentown on the weekend, he did make four saves in the loss. Going back to the Premier League, Anthony Robinson and Tim Ream both started and played 90 minutes in Fulham's 3-2 win over Leeds United, where we saw Brendan Aronson play the full 90 for Leeds in the loss. Tyler Adams missed the match due to a muscle injury, but that doesn't appear to be serious. What does appear to be serious is American manager Jesse Marsh's future going forward with Leeds as their losing streak has continued. Christian Pulisic played the final 15 minutes in Chelsea's 1-1 draw with Manchester United. In the English Championship, we saw Josh Sargent play the full 90 for Norwich in their draw against Sheffield United. Austin Trusty started and played the full 90 on the back line for Birmingham City's 2-1 loss against Blackburn on Saturday. Despite the loss, he continues to look dominant, and it has his parent club Arsenal beginning to make noise about his future with them when he returns from loan next season. Over in Germany, I mentioned Gio Reyna already, but Jordan Pifak started and played around 60 minutes in Union Berlin's disappointing loss to Bochum on Sunday. Joe Scally also started and played the full 90 in his team's loss on the weekend. But the biggest news in Germany, however, was young American Kevin Paredes starting and playing 75 minutes in Wolfsburg 2-2 draw against Bayer Leverkusen. Paredes is someone I brought up in the final selection list and just had him missing the cut. But if he continues to be rising in this form, despite being 19 years old, he could play a part in the very near future for our national team. Over in Spain, Yunus Musa started and played the full 90 in Valencia's 2-1 loss to Mallorca. Luca De La Torre faced off against Getafe on Monday and made a late substitute appearance. He has struggled to get into the lineup recently, but that was to be expected with his move from the Netherlands. Over in Italy, Serginho Dest started and played 45 minutes in AC Milan's 4-1 win, and while it is never good to be subbed off at half, it was more of a tactical decision rather than because of his actual play. Over in France, Tim Way came off the bench and played 25 minutes in Lille's 4-3 win over Monaco. Eric Palmer-Brown started, played all 90 minutes, and Captain Troy's in a 2-2 draw against Lorient. Now, something I saw on Twitter over the weekend was a comment about how we currently have two starting center backs in our player pool, captaining clubs in top five leagues, who most likely will not make our final World Cup roster. Aside from Palmer Brown, the other person would be Tim Ream. It is a little mind-blowing to think that we are in this position, but we very well could leave these two talents out of the final roster. Over in Scotland, Cameron Carter-Vickers continues his leading role with Celtic, captaining them to another win and playing the full match. Malik Tillman played the full match for Rangers in their 1-1 draw, while his teammate James Sands came on and played 45 minutes as well. In Belgium, Mark McKenzie also played the full 90 in Genk's 3-1 win, while Sam Vines also started and played the full 90 for Royal Antwerp in their own 3-1 win. A name I haven't mentioned on this show, who started and played the full 90 and scored a goal in Standard Liège's win on Sunday is Marlon Fossey. He is another English-American who was born in Los Angeles, but primarily grew up in England. Not sure you can include him as a name to be on the lookout for, but since he scored, and we mentioned dual nationals on a 55-man provisional roster earlier, 
I thought I would include him just in case. Now, we have had a few Americans abroad injured recently. Tyler Adams being a new name that popped up late last week, but shouldn't be a worry for the World Cup. Reggie Cannon was hurt during our September camp, but did return to the Premier League in Portugal on the weekend and played the entire match in Boa Vista's 2-1 win. Chris Richards, who I would be or I would think is an expected starter for the U.S. if he were healthy, is still sidelined for Crystal Palace. And while it isn't quite time to panic yet on his status for the World Cup, it is concerning that he isn't even training at this point. Now, that's a lot of names, a lot of updates, and a lot of players I left out who also played on the weekend or during the past week. If their name wasn't mentioned for whatever reason, it probably just means I don't rate them enough to consider them worth talking about at this point, or they just didn't feature over the weekend. It's not a slight towards them, but just realistic on my part. And you may say, but what about all the players in Major League Soccer? You didn't mention any of them. Well, let's head there next as we have been in full playoff mode and a lot has happened. On the eve of the first MLS playoff date, I gave a brief preview of the first round matches and we have quickly found ourselves already looking at our conference final matchups after some really exciting matches. The good news is that the matches have been really exciting and my predictions have so far been correct. The bad news is that most of our U.S. men's national teamers in the playoffs are eliminated and will now go a month without playing competitive soccer before the World Cup starts. In our first match of the playoffs, we saw Aaron Long get torched by Brandon Vasquez for the game-winning goal to put Cincinnati into the conference semifinals with a 2-1 win over Red Bull New York. While Vasquez has had an excellent season, he was told by Greg that he wouldn't be a part of this World Cup cycle, but Long is expected to be in the squad and could start for the U.S. despite his form, and most every fan in the U.S. is begging for him to be off of the team. Another expected defensive starter, Walker Zimmerman, also was knocked out on the first match day, losing 1-0 to the LA Galaxy. Austin FC advanced over Real Salt Lake in penalty kicks in their first ever playoff match. Montreal and Jordi Mihaljevic knocked off Orlando City. Mihaljevic assisted on the first goal and added a second-half penalty kick for their 2-0 win. Continuing with first-round matchups, Sean Johnson and New York City FC shut out Inter-Miami and DeAndre Yedlin 3-0 to advance to the semifinals. And finally, FC Dallas with Jesus Ferreira and Paul Areola outlasted Minnesota United in a penalty kick shootout to complete those first-round matchups. Into the conference semifinals, which had two matches take place last Thursday night, where we saw the Eastern top seed in Philadelphia Union top Cincinnati 1-0, and we saw the Western top seed LAFC and Kellen Acosta knock off their city rivals LA Galaxy 3-2, which saw the match winner with nearly the last kick in stoppage time. On Sunday night, we completed the other two matches that saw Johnson and NYCFC move on with a 3-1 victory over Montreal, with Mihaljevic scoring in the 85th minute to deny Johnson another shutout. Then we saw Austin FC play in front of an incredible crowd against their interstate rivals, FC Dallas. Austin jumped out to a quick 2-0 lead in a first half before conceding a second half goal that left a lot of fans on the edge of their seats. However, Austin held on for the 2-1 victory and sent Ferreira and Areola out. So with all of that, we are left with Philadelphia Union versus defending champion New York City FC in the East and LAFC against Austin FC in the West, leaving only Kellen Acosta 
as an MLS U.S. national team regular still in the playoffs. Those matches will take place this Sunday with the winners facing off in the MLS Cup Final on November 5th. Now, what do all of these eliminated players do between now and the World Cup roster selections and thereafter? Greg and his staff will be assembling a training camp in Dallas beginning today, October 25th, until November 6th. Since we had eight MLS players in September camp, it's safe to say all of them but Acosta will be there for the entirety of the camp. Greg also stated he didn't want to bring in anyone that won't have a realistic chance at making the World Cup roster to eliminate any false hope and will instead combine the players into a blended under-20 youth national team camp for fitness and scrimmages. It's safe to say, with these remaining matches and trainings, both in MLS and overseas, in regular play, U.S. fans and Greg will all be holding our breath, hoping none of our regulars come down with any injuries before November 21st. All right, in my last episode, I decided not to answer any U.S. men's national team questions. But since so many have come in, I felt like I needed to revisit and give some perspectives for everyone. I had to remind several people that these predictions were what I thought Greg would do, not what I wanted to do or would choose to do. And a few of you really missed that part, which is fine. Again, I love the banter, but let's hop into the questions for today. First up, why do you think Greg is so set in his ways with his own system and the players he chooses rather than letting the team use their best players in the best leagues and just let them play? I have spoken a lot of criticism in the direction of Greg in recent months. Some of it is more deserving, but I also understand that he has a job to do. And that began about four years ago with the ultimate metrics for him to be measured on was playing or was qualifying for the World Cup and advancing the U.S. in the World Cup to the knockout stages. He has already achieved one of those tasks. At the end of the day, it wasn't pretty, but it was accomplished. I can sit here and question the players he chooses and why he decides to stick to his preferred system with the players he has. I can sit here and complain about those choices. I can complain about a lot of things. But again, at the end of the day, he is the manager of this squad and he is working his plan to make sure he accomplishes that second task of advancing at the World Cup. Thinking about why he is so set in his ways, that is the only logical explanation. He has built this system since day one. He has made it very clear the style and tactics he wants to play. There have been a lot of growing pains, a lot of poor performances, a lot of criticism, but also a lot of victories and trophies won too. When his tactics and systems work, I find it this team is very difficult to defeat. But when they're off, this team is exposed. My biggest concern is how can Greg adjust in the moment when facing adversity or when facing someone who has outsmarted his system? What happens then? We are an extremely talented player pool with several players in the top leagues in the world. We're at the point in world soccer that a lot of other countries are at with having to leave those top players in top leagues off of our final World Cup roster. I know it doesn't seem right, but it just is what it is. I will disagree with a lot of the final roster selections, of course, but just because someone plays in a top league doesn't mean they should be in the squad. That is due to a variety of reasons, and again, I will disagree with some of those. But I also think Greg might surprise some people with how he ends up getting some results, myself included. So since we just had a Greg question, this one seemed relevant to answer next. 
Lots of talk over Jesse Marsh possibly being let go from Leeds. Perfect timing for him to grab the U.S. men's national team job. Is he the right fit? Yep. This one has been a hot topic and one we discussed a couple of months ago. And now that his results with Leeds aren't going his way, it's growing even louder. I think Jesse is the quintessential U.S. soccer manager in today's game. He has managed in two of the world's top leagues. He's managed and played in Major League Soccer. He has played for his country, albeit just twice. However, he was an assistant coach for the national team during Bob Bradley's days. He seems to be a player's coach. His resume in regards to performance can be met with mixed perspectives. He was very successful with the Red Bull New York, winning the Supporters' Shield and leaving with the most wins in the history of the club. He moved to Red Bull Salzburg in Austria, where he won the league title in both of his seasons. He moved to the Bundesliga to take over Red Bull Leipzig and lasted only a few months into his first season before parting ways. Then he goes to Leeds United midway through last season to help them survive relegation or yeah, relegation and he stayed in the Premier League. After a hot start to this season, things have fizzled out. And now he might as well have fire under his hot seat. I don't know how US soccer feels about their next management hire. Considering we're hosting in 2026, expectations will be very high. There will be a lot of pressure to perform. There might be some world-class foreign coaches available in the market who would look at this job very favorable, given the current talent we have and where this country is headed in world soccer. Marsh would seem to be a logical fit for a couple of reasons I listed earlier, and because he seems to get a lot out of his players in short spurts, which for a national team is really all you need since they aren't together for a long amount of time. I wouldn't be against hiring Marsh as our next coach if he is ready to leave club soccer behind for his so-called dream job. But I wonder if we could thrive with a different perspective in our next cycle. Next up, has your preferred starting 11 changed with all of the injuries and some of the form of our current uh, starters? I honestly don't remember the last preferred starting 11 I had in all of these shows, but I am sure it has changed given some of the form of, of individuals. I know I have had Matt Turner locked in to start. I don't think that changes, but I'd be ignorant to not say that Zach Steffen getting back into form and playing confidently isn't getting noticed. Serginho Dest is a starter at right back. Anthony Robinson at left back. The two central defenders for me are the biggest question marks I have in the squad. I am worried about the combination that could be there. We have seen Walker Zimmerman and Aaron Long recently as starters in September. That just can't happen. I'm fine with Zimmerman starting, and I believe he absolutely will, but not Long. There's just no way he is ready to compete at the World Cup level, and I don't even believe he should be on the roster. Greg could choose from Chris Richards if he were healthy, Carter Vickers, Mark McKenzie, Tim Ream, or even Eric Palmer Brown. If Richards is healthy, he's the guy. If not, I go with McKenzie. In the midfield, again, this has not changed for me since day one. Adams, McKinney, and Musa will be your starters. Up top, I do have two changes. Originally, I had Pulisic, Ferreira, and Weah. I still have Pulisic on the left, but Gio Reyna being healthy again, he will be on the right. In the middle, I just can't see Ferreira getting the spot ahead of the other two informed strikers in the moment. It comes down to starting Josh Sargent or Ricardo Pepe, and I think either could start. I would go with Sargent up front. 
I think he's more of the pit bull we need up there. He has the body and the size to take the knocks and can hold the ball up and play off of it, which would free up space for others. On the bench, you have some absolute super subs in Brennan Aronson and Tim Weah, who can go against some tired legs and really make an impact offensively. Along with some other depth, this squad could rotate a bit between each group stage match in order to keep everyone fresh too. Since I just said it out loud, let me answer again to this next question I got from multiple people who were outraged he was selected to my final predicted World Cup roster. How can you include Aaron Long on the roster? I included Long to the final roster because I believe that is what Greg is going to do. Prepare yourself for that. Don't get mad at me for stating what I think is more than obvious. I don't want nor do I think Long should be on this roster. He isn't good enough. It's been clear for months he is a step slower since his Achilles injury, and he just isn't the same player he once was. I didn't think he should have been a starter before the injury either, but that's beside the point. Long season in MLS is over. He is starting camp today and will be with Greg over the next couple of weeks to refine his form and will be closer to Greg. That is going to help his case even more, being in person and around the coaching staff, training the way they want him to, helping him prepare for what they want in the World Cup. Again, just prepare yourself for Long to be on this squad. Now, this final question I received and then reposted it to Twitter last week, which was, if you could tell the 26 individuals who make our final roster one piece of advice or one thing in general, what would it be? I got some really good responses from others on this one, including check your ego at the door, don't overthink it, pick talent, talent wins, and even got don't be don't be like the 1998 USA team. But for me, knowing this is a younger, more inexperienced squad who doesn't have the luxury of multiple players having played in an actual World Cup before, it's pretty simple. Just go out and play your game. I know that seems super cliche and lacks substance, but it's exactly what they need to do. They don't need to conform to what other teams are going to do. They don't need to overcomplicate their situations. Trust the people around you. Trust the tactics and whatever system Greg has shoved down your throat and just go play your game. I think these guys should have a chip on their shoulder. They are Americans playing soccer on the world stage. They don't exactly have the respect from the rest of the world when it comes to the sport. It doesn't matter how many players we have playing in Europe at top clubs in top leagues. Nobody really respects them as a nation in the sport. I think this is a perfect opportunity for them to break through. And if they do what I know they can do, they will surprise a lot of people. Last piece of advice I would give them is don't play like you did in September or it's going to be a very short stay in Qatar for you. All right. Well, much more to answer later in the week, but for now, on to the final thoughts of the week before we wrap up today's episode. The U.S. Women's National Team found out their group for the 2023 Women's World Cup next summer. The U.S. was drawn into Group E and will play all three of their matches in New Zealand. Their first match will be against Vietnam, who they have never faced before and who will be appearing in their first ever World Cup. Second up is a rematch of the 2019 Women's World Cup final against Netherlands, who should present the U.S. with a very strong test. In their final group match, the U.S. will face off between a playoff winner consisting of Portugal, Cameroon, or Thailand, which will be determined in February. 
The first match for the women will take place on July 22nd. Since the Women's World Cup will take place in New Zealand and Australia, two of the women's matches will take place at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, while the third match will take place at 2 a.m. Eastern Time. Side note, England, who the U.S. just lost to recently, was drawn into Group D, meaning the U.S. couldn't face England until the final if both teams make it there. Back to Major League Soccer, where the Houston Dynamo are searching for a new head coach and former U.S. men's national team player and longtime D.C. United star Ben Olsen has been reported to be emerging as a leading candidate by my friend Larry Henry of SBI Soccer. Olsen managed D.C. United from 2010 to 2020, so he has some solid MLS managerial experience under his belt, and he could be a good fit for the club. The Dynamo fired former manager Paulo Nagamora midway through the season, and former UNC Wilmington assistant Kenny Bundy took over to finish the year. Bundy spent several seasons playing for the Wilmington Hammerheads before moving into coaching, where he joined as a coach within the Dynamo Academy back in 2016 before taking on the head coaching role for the Dynamo 2 in the MLS Next Pro League last season. Bundy moved into the interim head coaching role for the Dynamo in September, and while I'm sure the experience was great for him, I do not believe he will be considered as a contender to move into the as a contender to move into the role permanently, especially with candidates like Olsen out in the market. Last final thought of the week is more of a personal non-soccer one. But this past weekend, I was able to attend the wedding of a very close family friend who happened to be a 10-year-old bridesmaid in my own wedding 14 years ago. And in full circle life mode, my daughters were able to be flower girls in her wedding, which is a great moment for my wife and I. Spending a lot of time with family and friends is always good for the soul, and it was really a beautiful weekend. And from a soccer perspective... Walking away from the weekend, being able to talk to others about the podcast, I just want to remind everyone that it's okay to have no idea what I am talking about. The whole purpose of this platform is to help educate everyone about American soccer happenings and to get people excited about what we are moving towards in the future with soccer as a whole. So whether you are an expert in soccer, a former player or coach, a soccer parent, or someone who has never been around the sport, this is for anyone and everyone. And I appreciated the interactions I had with others over the weekend who asked questions about it and showed an interest in learning more. Even the brother of the bride who made sure to let me know it really helps him fall asleep quickly at night when he has a listen. (laughs) So awesome moment this weekend and glad I could be a part of it. Well, all right, that's it for another episode of Soccer Pints. One month from today, we will be playing England in our second group match on Black Friday. Crazy to think about. As time just keeps moving faster and faster, and we are getting so close to finally experiencing another World Cup. Later this week, we will release our next episode as well, which I will have more questions that I've been asked over the weeks and continue to discuss national team news. In the next coming weeks, I will have some collaborations with other guests, as well as have an official World Cup roster release after November 9th. So lots of exciting things happening in the near future. Please continue to listen and share the show with others. We are so close to hitting 1,000 downloads, which has been an early set goal for me, but the more help in spreading the word, the better. It's always appreciated. Until next time, cheers, my friends.